It is Tuesday, September 28th, 7 p.m. here in Washington, D.C., and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Nation's Pastime in the nation's capital, WCUA's only baseball-centric talk show. I'm your host, Andrew Snaith, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, James Higgins and Robbie Cruz, and we're going to break down the latest in the baseball world here in the final week of the regular season. It was an absolutely incredible week last week of baseball. A lot of exciting news, a lot of exciting games, and honestly, I'm just really excited for the final week of the season. Without question. But first, before we get into it, thank you all so much for tuning in. We are live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. here on WCUA Radio. And as always, our shows are posted after in podcast form on both our YouTube account and on Spotify through WCUA's account as well. More info to that. We'll be following soon. Check out our Instagram at NatPastimeCap for info on when that gets going. We're going to make a playlist of just our shows that have been posted on the WCUA account and then go ahead and link that on our Instagram so that you can easily listen to all the episodes as they're posted on Spotify. Once again, that is at NatPastimeCap for our Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter as well, same exact name. And if you want to call in about anything baseball-related during tonight's show, that number is 202 202- 319-5106-202-319-5106. And let's get right into the news around the league before we get started talking about some of the games going on right now and the playoff races that are still occurring. First up, one of the biggest things this week that was announced is the Rays and their decision to advertise something pretty interesting during the postseason this year. Isn't that right, Robbie? Absolutely. The Rays are uh, making some changes, and I think it's good for baseball. Oh, okay. Well, that's actually interesting. I want to hear why you think that's good for baseball. But for anyone not aware, first of all, the Rays announced that they're going to be advertising their plan to play Montreal baseball half of the season next year, half of their home games in Montreal and the other half in Tampa. They're going to be advertising that during the postseason. So, Robbie, you think that's good for baseball? Well, I think it's good they're advertising it now because that's going to get fans aware of the situation. It's going to bring attention. And for the fans of Montreal, they're going to know that uh, baseball is coming their way. Absolutely. James, thoughts on the decision for the Rays to advertise during the playoffs for their Montreal plan? I think it's one of the most idiotic things a sports team could do. I mean, I I see what Robbie is saying about marketing to the fans in Montreal, if that is the initial plan, but let's be real. The lease on the TROP isn't up until 2027, so you have seven more years, six more years in the TROP in Tampa Bay playing a full season. Playing a season half in one place, half in another place just is not realistic and it wouldn't work. It's, it's not something that, that's feasible. Why would players want to sign up for that? Obviously, it's not going to be back and forth. You know, they switch each homestand. It's going to be the first half in Tampa, second half in Montreal. But why would you sign up for that? There's no continuity. you got to move your family around, you know, whatever else may that, may that pertain to. And then how are you going to keep fans in Tampa Bay knowing that once June 30th hits, your team's going to be gone every year? And, and that's why the thing. to it now? Right. Like, like, live in the present. You have the best team in the American League. Do it. And wh- what message does this send to Rays fans, I mean, I know there's not a ton of hardcore Rays fans, which, by the way, is a crime because they're a very talented baseball team. But if you're a hardcore Rays fan that's lived in Tampa for years, what message does this send to you? Well, it's definitely a negative message, but another reason, one of the reasons I thought it was fine was because Tampa Bay has just been struggling, uh, and everybody says that a baseball team should be located in Montreal, so I think it's worth at least attempting to try. Um I do think it is a slap in the face for uh, diehard Rays fans, though. So I could definitely see why both sides of the spectrum are pretty upset here. Very, very true, very true. And now, Robbie, I want to ask you also about something that James mentioned, and that's if you're a player considering going to the Tampa Bay Rays, does this affect your decision? 
Yeah, I definitely think that it would have an impact in uh, a certain way. Maybe if you're from Florida, you might not want to play for the Rays anymore. Um, I don't know many players from Montreal, but if there is somebody from Montreal, maybe they want to go sign with the Rays. I know that the Rays haven't really signed too many big-name free agents over the past few years, but maybe this could be uh, the start of something to change for the Rays. I'm not really sure. Well, James, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you meant by that statement as well, more so like, hey, you're going to have to, I think you mentioned this as well, hey, you're, we're going to have to sign on to a team where I'm playing and moving my family to two different places for home games throughout Correct. the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, do you think that that's going to play a role in, you know, maybe potentially some free agent signing with Tampa Bay? For sure, because why, why would you want to move to so many different places? I mean, the discontinuity that we saw this year with the Blue Jays, just in terms of, this was th- this was something that was unique and out of their control, but I mean, they played home games in Dunedin, then in Buffalo, and then again in Toronto, not starting until July 30th. But why would a player willingly sign up to do this every single year there's no continuity another thing which Brett Phillips talked about which is a very interesting point the reason why there aren't a lot of diehard Rays fans yet is because the 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 generation that's growing up in Tampa right now is still young they're getting into baseball their parents didn't grow up with the Rays they grew up with whatever team they liked they moved to Florida now their kids are growing up in Tampa Bay they are Rays fans so in 2028 the first year that this is going to happen when they are older the hardcore Rays fans aren't going to be able to experience it fully anymore that's going to be the perfect time for the hardcore Rays fans to finally develop that first generation of real Rays fans who will be selling out the trop, who will be attending games, who will be really focused in on the team because they're going to be adults. They're, they're going to want to watch baseball. They're going to want to get their kids into baseball. So that's what they're going to focus on. And that was the point Brett Phillips was making was that the hardcore Rays fans, they're coming. They're, they're coming in five to ten years when this generation grows up and when th- this generation can fully experience it with the rest of their generation and their kids. If you have any opinions on the race situation or anything else baseball-related, a quick reminder, you can call in at any time at 202-319-5106. That's 202-319-5106. We'd love to have you on the show. Now, moving on to the next news item around the league, uh, a Zimmer versus Zimmer matchup in Cleveland on Monday night. And if you're not aware, the uh, Kansas City Royals, I believe he is one of their top prospects, right? Yeah, Brady Zimmer, and uh, he took the mound against the Cleveland Indians and faced his brother Bradley, the outfielder for the Cleveland Indians, who's had an okay season, and he ended up taking him deep. Now, guys, I'm not sure if you're aware, but this is only the fourth time in history that a brother has taken another brother deep. Can you believe that? I actually did not know that. Do you know who uh, the other brothers were? Well, two of them are names that you're probably not going to recognize, but I would love to highlight the last time this happened. It was in 1975, and it was Joe Necro hitting it off of his brother Phil, the knuckleballer. That's that's impressive, and I think the the brother to brother and the or the father to son, you know, whether it's whatever lineage you have in baseball, whether it's hitting home runs off of each other, hitting back to back home runs, hitting in the same lineup, that's what makes baseball so unique and so. Rom- like, how can you not be romantic about baseball? Of course, of course, great quote, absolutely. I think stuff like this is also good for just for the game of baseball as a whole. Not many people were watching that Rays Indians game, but because a brother hit a home run off of a brother, a lot of people want to just tune in and watch the highlights of it. So something like that's just really exciting to see for the game. Also, something to note: that stat doesn't take into account the Brandon Crawford Garrett Cole I was, matchup. I was just about oh, yeah. to say that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and if you're not aware, that was a couple years ago when Garrett Cole was on the Pirates. He ended up facing Brandon Crawford, and that's significant because Brandon Crawford's sister is actually, or at the time, was engaged to Garrett Cole. And then a few years later, when Garrett Cole was in Houston, 
Brandon Crawford hit a home run off him when Garrett Cole was married to her. That's correct. So, so. The, the Grand Slam and the Wild Card game. Oh, then that's home, right. And then the home run in the regular season in yep. 2018, I believe. Yeah, yeah so that's, that does not take into account. Brother and Laws, of course, unfortunately. But very cool indeed. And I believe it's safe to say that Bradley's going to have bragging rights for the rest of time. 100%. Moving on to the final piece of news around the league before we get into checking on those games and the pennant races around baseball. And that, of course, is Shohei Otani and the comments he made this weekend about staying with the Los Angeles Angels after he was handed a loss after a pretty good pitching performance still. I believe it was on Saturday or Sunday that he yes, pitched. Yes, And it, it was a great performance as well, and he was asked after the game about his future in Los Angeles. He's due to be a free agent after the year 2023, and of course, given the year this that he's having this year, you know, there's a lot of talk on whether or not he's going to stay with them and what kind of money he's going to get. And the quote that he gave when someone asked him about that was, I like the fans, the atmosphere, and the organization, but my feelings of wanting to win are stronger. Guys, is this a call to action to the Los Angeles Angels to make themselves better for Shohei Otani? Yes, it is, and it should be, because for some reason Mike Trout's call to action since 2015 have fallen upon deaf ears, and they've had the best player in the game since 2012. So hopefully having two generational talents and the two best players in the game will finally make them realize to wake up to sign more pitching and to do something to build a contender around two generational talents. The, they did take a right first step forward in the draft and only drafting pitchers. They did recognize they had an organizational problem and did that. But yes, it is a call to action and both Otani and Trout uh, have the right to be upset because their talents are getting wasted on a very bad Angels team and a very underperforming Angels team year in, year out. Now, Robbie, I have a question for you here. Shohei Otani, of course, asking the Angels, it seems like, to improve in a way that'll get them and of course him and Mike Trout I mean to the postseason now the Angels are always active in free agency yeah that's what I was but about to what say. do they have to do to finally get to the postseason with these two guys well I think that yes they did a great job drafting pitchers but I still think that their bullpen's been an issue that's just been longing for years their lineup is actually a pretty strong lineup they have a lot of good pieces in that lineup you know and Jared Walsh is a guy that people don't talk about enough he's just an underrated player and they still got Anthony Rendon coming back next year Justin Upton, he's fine. Shohei Otani, I don't have to say anymore. But the big problem is the rest of their starting pitching and their bullpen depth. Their bullpen depth has been absolutely horrendous for years, and it's prevented them from making the playoffs several several times. Uh, I think it was two years ago they had, like, the most blown saves in baseball. And stuff like that is what hurts the Angels year in and year out. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And before we segue into our discussion on the current playoff races, I think the last uh, news item is a perfect segue to that. And that, of course, is what went on in Boston this weekend between the Yankees and Red Sox. A three-game series, a battle for the wild card first spot. And it ended up with a huge sweep for the New York Yankees, who played some good baseball in Boston this weekend. Now, they have a tough schedule ahead, and we'll get to that as we talk about it later. But first of all, Robbie, I want to hear, what did the Yankees do right this weekend that you saw? Well... The, the, what, the big thing that the Yankees did well is something that they've done all year, and that's just never give up. Um, the Yankees are probably one of the most inconsistent teams in baseball, but there were several moments in that game, in those games, where you could have just completely written them off. Uh, when DJ LeMahieu and Joey Gallo dropped those fly balls, and they were, and then they were losing, so you could have easily written them off. But John Carlos Stanton put this team on his back. The team just did not give up. Another thing that people don't appreciate enough was how good the bullpen depth was. Luis Severino, I said last week on this show, was going to be a really big acquisition of the team. And he, did. he was coming out of the bullpen. He was great. Chad Green had really good addings. Aroldis Chapman came in when we needed him. Clay Holmes, absolutely incredible. So because the team wasn't giving up and the bullpen was great, 
I think that really helped. And also it helps that their starting pitching was good, you know. Um, Garrett Cole looks like Garrett Cole, which was uh, really exciting. Jor Montgomery, was he was doing just fine against the Red Sox. So I think because the starting pitching was decent, the lineup was not giving up, and the bullpen stepped their game up. I think that's a big reason as to why the Yankees were able to win the series, despite their lackluster defense. Now, on the other side then, James, got to ask you, coming into that series, of course, Red Sox had the lead on the first wild card, ended up tied afterwards, I believe. No, New York's one game up. New York one game up. I'm sorry, that's right. It was indeed three games. Apologies for that. So I'm going to ask you on the other side there, what did this Red Sox team, who, again, as Robbie said, was playing against a Yankees team that has been very inconsistent all year long, what did they do wrong in this three-game sweep? First of all, credit to the Yankees, credit to Giancarlo Stanton for going off. Every time that he came up in the series, when he had the chance to put the game away, he did exactly that. Three homers, ten RBIs. The homer on Friday night decided the game. The grand slam on Saturday decided the game. And the home run on Sunday decided the game. So every time he came up, he... He came through in the clutch. He delivered, and that's that's not something that you know he's always done while he's been in New York. But right now, he's stepping up and and delivering when when needed most. And I think I think the uh, you know the biggest thing for for the Red Sox is the bullpen. The bullpen is a complete mess right now. You know, there, there's there's no ifs ands or buts about it. The bullpen has been terrible the entire second half. You know, Matt Barnes was an all star in the first half. Has. Um, a terrible ERA in the in the second half, and he, he walks guys, gives up hits, he can't do anything right. Their best reliever, Garrett Whitlock, who should be the closer, is on the IL right now. Josh Taylor, their best left-hander, on the IL right now. Adam Adovino has an ERA over five in the second half. Garrett Richards has been solid since go, moving from the rotation to the bullpen, but he he was not his usual self Sunday night. The, the, Darwin's and Hernandez came in, threw a meatball right down the middle of Giancarlo Stanton. The, the, the biggest issue right now with the Red Sox is the bullpen. It's a complete mess, and then Sunday night, Eduardo Rodriguez, the line looks good, but he completely imploded in the sixth inning. I know he only gave up two earned runs. He struck out eight, but he was cruising through five, was pretty much throwing a no-hitter, and then and then he gave it up in the sixth. Nick Pavetta pitched well on Saturday. The offense didn't pick him up. So I would say the two biggest things are the offense not coming up with timely hits and the bullpen being a complete mess. Either way, it's a complete disaster for the Red Sox. They didn't get the job done. It's unacceptable. And I think the the biggest thing, which not a lot of people are harping on, is the lack of urgency that Alex Cora has infused in his team. Well, Buster only before the game talked to Cora, and he said, look, it's just a regular old Sunday. Guys are checking their fantasy football team. We're staying loose. Where's the urgency? This is, you know, it's a seven-game season at this point. You were tied with the Yankees. They lost that first one. So it's completely unacceptable. Credit to the Yankees. And, um, you know, still got six games left to try to right the ship. I don't think it's fair for Yankee fans to just harp all to jump all over the Red Sox because Red Sox actually played a pretty good series. I thought. I did think, however, that uh, Alex Cora mismanaged the bullpen at times. I don't know if you agree with that, James. Uh, I mean, I, 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 yes, I agree with the fact that he mismanaged it, but I will also go back to the fact that their bullpen in general is a mess and he doesn't have a lot to work with because, they, like Whitlock, their best reliever is on the IL. And and, right. t- and, t- and Taylor, their best lefty, is out. But I I agree that on Saturday he mismanaged it. He, sh- yeah. he should have. I think he should have gone to Richards for a four out save instead of bringing right. in Hernandez. I, I don't know if that's what you were alluding to. That's exactly what I was alluding to. Yes, yeah. I mean that that was my first thought. So yes, I agree with you in part that while he didn't have a lot to work with, he still mismanagement. So I think I think we're both on the same page there. Yeah. Also, my big thing for the Red Sox is just they don't have a closer right now. I think that's their biggest concern. No, I mean, I mean like th- their their lack of willingness to put Garrett Whitlock in the closer spot is is, I think, very puzzling. I know they want to make him a starter next year, but he could be one of the best relievers. In, he's been one of the best relievers in baseball all year, and he could be the best closer in baseball if you know they transition him to that full time. But their lack of their lack of refusal to, to to just put him in that closer role is stupid because closer by committee never works. Like, what, what do you think about that? Oh, no, I 100% agree. I think that, um, especially for a reliever, it's easier when you have a designated role. 
Uh, I saw the Yankees try to throw Chad Green in the closer's role several times, and he just can't close. He's not used to that situation. Jonathan Loisega, that's another one. Andrew, I'm sure the Phillies have had several guys who have who have been good in the middle of the game, but they can't close out games. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the bullpen's been a problem for the Phillies, of course, for the past three years. I mean, and we're, we're going to get to actually talking about that series uh, next, I believe. A quick reminder, though, before we do get into that, if you want to call in at all with anything baseball-related you want to chat about, that number is 202-319-5106, Can I get one more thing before we move on from this series? Yes, absolutely, These James. were the biggest uh, – okay, there, besides the four-game uh, series against the Yankees in 18 when the Red Sox swept the Yankees and, and put the division away, these were the biggest regular season games for the Red Sox in, I don't know, eight years, ten years, besides that four-game series in 18 and they failed to show up in the in the biggest series and I don't know how after these six games you can like yes you got just you just got to ride the wave but I don't know how much better you can feel even if they go six and oh you know right now they don't have Chris Sale slated to start the wild card game they have him slated to start game 162 Nate Evaldi has been solid this year but he got rocked by the Yankees on Friday and mostly and there's a very good chance that they will play the Yankees now obviously Toronto if they sweep the Yankees or whatever you know I mean there's a lot of baseball left to be played but there's a very high percentage chance that they could play the Yankees in New York so, like, uh, how good do you feel about Evaldi? I don't know. He's owned the Yankees, but, but you know, this is the fifth time he faced him this year, and the more times you face him, the more the more times you'll get familiar with him. So we'll see where this goes, but ultimately it should be Chris Sale, and hopefully if they don't have to use him in Game 162, they slide him right back for the wild card game if they make it. As you said, James, a lot of baseball left. You have two key series this weekend with both those teams. This week, excuse me, to watch, of course, and that's what the Yankees have. Three games with the Toronto Blue Jays and then a tough four-game series with the Tampa Bay Rays, although you got to think at that point Tampa Bay will be resting, resting some of their big guys, getting ready for the assuming first round they have, of the Assuming they have home field locked up. Right, and I believe they're still battling with the Astros, Astros for that, yeah, right? They're, ba- yeah. they're battling with the Astros. They're about first. six wins up, though, aren't they? Yes, and, and another thing, both the Red Sox and the Yankees would be in first place in the AL Central. <laughs> which which is crazy to think yeah, about. That's and true, Robbie. This might be the happiest you've been over the regular season in the last X amount of years. This is the most disappointed I've been in the Red Sox since David Ortiz retired. Well, this is probably the second. I mean, yeah, no, this is definitely the happiest. Either that or when uh, they swept the Red Sox in New York earlier this yes, season. Yes, yes. But here's my question. I actually don't know this. Uh, if the Red Sox and Yankees finish in a tie, is there a game 163, or is, nope. who would get the tiebreaker? Boston, because they won Boston? the season series. Okay, yeah, so, that's what I thought. Okay, well, if we want to get into tiebreakers, I can break down the, the three-team tiebreaker real quick. For Are you talking about specifically for the, specifically for the AL wild card? card? Yeah, so if there, is a three, yeah. if there is a three-team tie, you have Team A, Team B, and Team C. The Red Sox won both season series against the Yankees and the Blue Jays 10-9 to over both, so they would get first pick, and I would assume they would pick Team A. Team A hosts a game on Monday against Team B. The winner of that game is the first AL Wilds card. The loser travels to Team C on Tuesday. Now, the, now here and the winner of the second game on Tuesday would would be the second Wilds card, and right. then those two teams would play in the Wilds card game. What's interesting is the Blue Jays would get the second pick. Now, if you're the Blue Jays, do you pick Team B, where you travel on the road to Fenway Park, and then if you lose, you travel on the road to New York, but you get two chances to win the wilds to to get to the wild card game or do you pick being team C you only get one chance but it's at home and you can line up Robbie Ray to start that game because he would be on track to start that game to start the game to get into the wild right, card right where you could start Barrios see that's absolutely insane we haven't had like a, a crazy tiebreaker scenario like this in so long. The tw- 2013 with I the, was gonna say, the uh, Rangers was the last 2013 one. 2013 was the last one. That's actually no no no. We had a, a game 163 for the um the NL West 
Yes, yes, but, but are you talking about wild card? Yes. Oh, okay. Be, because okay. both the Rockies and the Dodgers, they were both guaranteed the playoffs. The, one of these teams is not going to make it. I see it. what there's you're saying. If tie. there's the three team tie, then one of them won't make it. Yes. And hey, before we uh, talk and talking about the AL wild card here, let's not out, not count out the Mariners who paid a gr- played yes, a great game, game a, last night. Only a game and a half back. Game and a half back. They have two more against Oakland, I believe. Yes. They could legitimately eliminate Oakland if they somehow stay hot, find their way into the wild card. Yeah, and cre- and credit to Jeff Passan for coming up with this uh, the t- all the tiebreaker scenarios. But if you're it, both of you, if you guys are Toronto do you pick being team B and having two chances if you lose because you can win that first game obviously but if you lose that first game you you you're guaranteed to get a second game but they're both on the road both going to Boston and New York two very loud environments which I, I wouldn't sign up for or get one home game at Rogers Center where that place is going to be rocking I would pick being team C that's what I would pick yeah I definitely agree with that um I think that's I wouldn't say it's a no-brainer but I definitely would do that yeah, I want the two chances, honestly. Oh, you would pick I want B. the two chances. Okay. Because here's the thing, right? I get it that you have the two chances to do, or that you only have one chance to do that. You get to do Robbie Ray. But at the same time, baseball is just a game that I feel like, not that I feel like, it, it's a fact that anything can happen in that one game. Right. I'd rather have more than one chance. But would you rather have that one chance at home instead of two chances in a very loud Fenway Park in a very loud Yankee Stadium? You know, I don't think it matters as much as you think it does. You know, these guys are professionals. They've been on teams that have played in stadiums like this a long time. And heck, Toronto gets pretty loud when they're going. That's, so. that's why I'd pick the one game at home. That's, That's fair. What? That's fair. I just I would like two different choices just to feel better, especially because, like you said, you have Barrios. The problem is, of course, yeah, if you don't, if, if you win, if you have to play both those games and then you win, like you know, it's well, Hyunjin Ru in the wild card game. He, but. He's not a bad option though. If that's your third option, that's really no, that's really no, no, no. Of course not. But the obviously, Blue Jays not one pitching of those two. depth is not, amazing. not good. But here's uh, something I don't think enough people are talking about. I don't think the Blue Jays have as much postseason experience as other teams because this team is so young. Now, George Springer, really good postseason talent, but. You look at their main core pieces, like Marcus Semien hasn't played in really big games. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, they haven't played in big game atmospheres. Like, I don't know how they would handle playing at Yankee Stadium in the postseason because Yankee Stadium in the postseason, the loudness is on another level. Uh, yeah, without question. I do understand that. And look, I mean, you very well could be saying that that is the right choice. I think there's merits to both sides. I just ultimately would want the two chances against, especially because that one game would, you know, be against either the Red Sox or the Yankees, who are both no slouch. You know, I, I just think it would be it would be better that way. But we will see what happens there if there actually is a tiebreaker scenario in the AL wild card. Let's go right into those discussions of the remaining series and playoff races that are happening this week because there are a lot, and this is one of the uh, more crazier ends of the season that we're probably going to see in a while, which is very exciting for people who like crazy September baseball leading into the playoffs. A quick reminder, before we hop into that, anything you want to talk about at all, that number is 202-319-5106. You can go ahead and call in. We'll happily take your call here on WCUA Radio, 202-319-5106. And guys, one of the games that is just getting underway right now and one that will most likely decide the National League East Championship and one that has been dubbed by a lot of the beat reporters on Twitter as the biggest series in Philly's history in the past 10 years is going on in Atlanta, and that, of course, Philadelphia Phillies versus the Atlanta Braves. Guys, is it fair to say that whichever team comes out better from this series is probably winning this, the division, even though that there's another series after this for both teams? Yes, for sure. Well, if the Braves sweep, they, they win the division, right? Right. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I think who, whoever wins this series will most likely win the division. I, if, yeah. I th- if the Braves win this series, for sure, yes. If the Phillies win this series, they would only go up by half a game, right? If that's they, where I think that's If they uh, sweep the series, they will be up half a game. Um, oh, so if they win the series, they're... If they win the series, they're tied. 
they win the series, they're tied. Okay, so if they if they if they win the series, I'm gonna say if the Phillies win the series, I'm gonna say flip a coin. If the Braves win the series, Braves win the division. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair to say. Something to also to note again, if necessary, there will be a game on that Monday. Uh, between the Braves and the Rockies. That was rained out earlier in the season. They decided that it's only going to be played if they need to. There's a couple scenarios where the Phillies could potentially force the Braves what, to play they that. they finish half a game back? Right, something like that. If it's anywhere close where they have to de- they have to decide who's going to win the division by one more game, then they will have to play that game against the Rockies. And then there's even scenarios, and uh, credit to, I don't know who did this on the Philly subreddit, but found a chart with all the possible scenarios. But there are potentially possible scenarios where the Braves have to then play that extra game, and then that they're still tied after that and have to play a game 163 tiebreaker for the division. Oh, wow. That, that would be crazy. That scenario would be actually one of a couple. One of them is if the Phillies sweep Atlanta and sweep Miami, but then, the Miami is the series they have this weekend after the Braves, but then if the Braves sweep the Mets and then win that additional Rockies game, they're both tied, game 163. And the other one would be if Philly goes 2-1 and one against Atlanta, they go 3-0 against Miami, all Atlanta has to do is go 2-2, two and two, and they will force a game 163 as well. And it's also important to note, if they somehow go 3-1 and one instead, it doesn't even matter. They'll win on game, they'll, they'll win anyway. They won't even yeah, need to play the Rockies game. The only comment that I have is I think if the Philly as if the Phillies can win this series, I think their season uh, still has a good chance of going on. But if the Braves somehow win the series, if they take it two or three, or if they sweep the Phillies, I think the Philly season's over. I just I well, think it they is. Have, statistically yeah. if they sweep yes. them, it's yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm saying like, even if they lose, if the if the Braves take two, two or three, or three, oh, it's over. I think it's over. The Phillies have to win at least two games if their season's going right. to stay alive. And I think this game tonight is really important. Oh, get easily. off on the right foot, and you don't have to win back to back games. It takes a lot of pressure off. Technically and, speaking, and Bryce Harper could potentially lock up MVP. We oh about yes, this last of course. Week, but it, but if he goes off in this series and the Phillies sweeper, they win two mm-hmm. of three. He could lock up MVP. I don't think he's losing MVP in this series if he doesn't do well or they get swept. You know, whatever you want to say. But no, I but it makes he, it a guarantee. He could very well lock up right. MVP if if he does in fact go off and the Phillies win this series without question and Robbie just to go to your point there and for a second Kyle if Philly Schwarber just went deep oh for the ball for the Boston Bo- Red Sox, Sox or the Red Sox Orioles game they are up one nothing indeed very important to watch for that wild card race uh, Robbie just go back to your point if Philly does go one and two against Atlanta the only possible way for the Phillies to make the playoff then is to sweep the Marlins the Braves have to lose every single game for the remainder season and then it would be a game 163 tie so you're yeah. very right if they go one and two in this series it's ultimately over right and I don't think people know this well enough but the Phillies have struggled against the Marlins this season not just this season but in years past so this is a really important series for the Phillies because the odds are they're not going to go into Miami and just sweep them they just have they just have not had that sort of success and correct me if I'm wrong but I think the rest of the Philly games are on the road this season. Is that correct, Andrew? That is correct, including... Well, actually, it depends on the series where a potential game 163 would be, but taking that out, yes, they have yeah. three against the Braves in Atlanta and three against Miami in uh, Miami. <laughs> yeah, and I just... With the way that they played against the Marlins this season, with the way that they played in Miami, I just... I can't see them sweeping them. So, yes, the Phillies must take at least two of three. A sweep would be great, but it all starts tonight. 
get the win tonight, Phillies. It all starts tonight, especially because Zach Wheeler, their best pitcher on the mound. He's got a 1.2 ERA against the Braves this season. He's been fantastic. This is the biggest start of his career and the biggest season of his career. But it, it will be a challenge up against Charlie Morton. And I was just about to say, with Charlie year. Morton out there as well for the Braves, who in his age, I want to say, what, 37 season? Yeah, and he just got to, and he just got a $20 million extension. And he just got an extension. He is no slouch at all. It's going to be fantastic baseball in Atlanta for the next three games. But this game... Game one of that series is very important to take a W and get out in front if you're the Braves or Phillies. Also, the Blue Jays just took a one nothing lead over the Yankees. There you go. Another wild card watch there. Atlanta, or I'm sorry, the Toronto Blue Jays versus the New York Yankees. That one very important because a series win or sweep by the Blue Jays could put them right back in a wild card position. And it's, and it's also important for the Red Sox because if the Red Sox are just able to take care of, if, if the Red Sox are able to sweep Baltimore, they will gain a game on one of those two teams regardless of what happens. Yes, absolutely. So I like, like and look, as disappointing as this weekend was for the Red Sox, as disappointed as I was, they can still be the first wild card if they take care of business and the, either the Blue Jays sweep the Yankees or or they, the Blue Jays and Yankees trade games. The Red Sox can overtake the first wild card spot. So the scheduling gods have really helped out the Red Sox with this soft landing. The Yankees have the toughest remaining schedule out of the three, and then at, after this series between Toronto and, and New York, Toronto goes to Baltimore to play Baltimore. So that'll that'll be. Obviously, an easy ending. So it's, I think these three games out out of all these three teams are more important for New York just because of their remaining schedule. Like if they if they get swept, that would be very tough to come back from considering the weekend that the Red Sox and the Blue Jays have. Now if the Yankees take care of business and the Rays don't have to do anything, the Yankees should be fine. So I think that out out of these three teams, it's most important for the Yankees because they have the hardest strength of schedule remaining. We talked last week that the Yankees, if they were going to do this, they needed to buckle down and take care of business and battle and win these next games. They're off to a great start with 3-0 against the Red Sox. We'll see if they can finish it again tonight. They had some clutch hits in that series when they were down from down behind the uh, Red Sox. We'll see if they can do it again against a Toronto team that is not exactly the greatest when it comes to pitching, but can swing the bats pretty darn well. I think if the Yankees can take at least two of three in this series against Toronto, I think Toronto season's pretty much over. I think you're very right, especially because, and I mentioned this earlier, but we got to give credit to these Mariners. They are hanging in there. They're at 89 wins. They could eliminate the Oakland Athletics by the by Wednesday, and that's just something I don't think any person saw this year. I think more so than the Giants being potential NL West winners is the fact that the Mariners are probably going to win 90-plus games this year and that they're still in it here in the last week of September. The only If the Blue Jays lose this series, if the Red Sox don't take care of business, they're still right in the thick of it. They're only one game back of Boston. But but to Robbie's point, yes, it would be tough for the Blue Jays if, if they do lose this series to, assuming the Red Sox take care of business against the lowly Orioles, to salvage something this weekend. But, you know, it, whoever wins this series will obviously have a huge upper hand. Uh, we'll see what happens. And going back to the Dodgers and the Giants, it is crazy. Yeah, that you if both the Dodgers and the Giants win out, the Dodgers will have 106 wins and be the wild card team, <laughs> and then they will go up in a one game playoff against the hottest team in baseball history in the last like 20 in the last 50 years. The St. Louis Cardinals are on a 16 game winning streak. It does not look like they can be stopped. They are peaking at the absolute right time. It's going to be a great wild card game, whether it's Gi- Giants Cardinals or Dodgers Cardinals. What one of those two teams is going to be facing a red hot St. Louis Cardinals team, and I think. That'll be a great game with with Adam Wainwright or Jack Flaherty going up against Scherzer or Bueller, or if it's the Giants, uh, you would assume it would be Kevin Gossman. Uh, it's 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 going to be a great. We got a we got a great week of baseball coming up, and and that's why you play baseball. You watch 162. You play 162 for a reason. It all comes down to 162. Every game matters, and and the intensity heightens this week. Well, Robbie, I believe we were talking about this before the show started, but if you're the St. Louis Cardinals, I don't care how hot you are, I don't want to face Max Scherzer in a one game playoff. Yeah, exactly. So. 
It's going to be really tough, and I think we alluded to this last week, but what's interesting for the Cardinals is they have several pitchers that they could go to for this wild card game. Uh, do you go with Adam Wainwright, who's been really good this season? Jack Flaherty, he's been really good this season. The Cardinals have a lot of good options, so if they do face a Dodgers in the wild card game, the key is going to be pitching for the Cardinals because I don't see them just raking off of Max Scherzer. But if they can hold the Dodgers lineup down, I think that Cardinals bullpen is better than the Dodger bullpen. Wow. I mean, it's and I mean, you know, I think that the Dodgers have a really good bullpen, but I think that the Do- that the Cardinals can beat the Dodgers bullpen. So if the Cardinals are going to win, it has to be against the Dodger bullpen. That's my big thing. But Max Scherzer is going to go as deep as he can in the wild card game, so it's going to be really tough for the Cardinals. Without question. Also, if you're the Cardinals, I'm assuming let's say you start Wainwright. I'm I'm assuming then also Flaherty, first guy out of your bullpen. Yes, because you have to get to the LDS. It doesn't right. game one of the LDS doesn't matter unless you win the wild card game. Yes, without question, agree with that there. And honestly, not really sure who else they got going in that bullpen besides him. I know Alex Reyes has struggled, um, and y- you know I think the biggest thing with the St. Louis pitching, with the St. Louis Cardinals, has been how good their pitching has been, their starting pitching, and how good their acquisitions have been. Both Jay Happ and John Lester have been very good pickups for them. Two under the radar pickups that, that I don't no, think nobody really thought would no. mean anything because the Cardinals were ten games out on August seventh. Exactly. Not only ten games out, their playoff chances were in single digits when they made those trades. Those seem like trades that the St. Louis front office was making just to satisfy the fans, saying, "Hey, you know what? We're probably not going to make it, but we'll try. We'll get some old veterans. You know, we'll we'll see what they do for the rotation." But absolutely, John Lester and Jay Happ have been fantastic for the St. Louis Cardinals. Great pickups, and like you said, it seems like they're unstoppable right now. If I'm the Giants or Dodgers, I'm going to be honest, that might scare me going into a one-game playoff with how hot they've been. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think both teams have a right to be afraid of each other just because both of the teams are so good. You know, all the all the teams that are in playoff contention right now are really talented. There's not a single team in the playoff race where I'm like, this team shouldn't be making the playoffs. Um, going back to the Cardinals bullpen, though, I really like G- Giovanni Gallegos, former Yankee, as we all know. Yeah. Um, as Andrew said, Alex Reyes has struggled, but uh, Genesis Cabrera, he's been pretty good this year. Luis oh, I, Garcia. I love that guy. Yeah. Big Luis, fan of him. Big yeah. fan of him. Luis Garcia. No sarcasm. I mean, Luis Garcia is another solid reliever. So the Cardinals do have relievers. I just, before you see these relievers come in, you'll probably see another starting pitcher as James and Andrew were saying earlier. Question Luis Garcia, is that the same one that was on the Angels and Phillies? Yes. And he's good this year for the yeah. Cardinals. How about that? Not something I would have predicted to happen in 2021, but you know what? Crazier things have happened. We do have a pitcher with 45-plus home runs, so I can't really be surprised at anything anymore. MVP. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And we did talk a lot about the MVP last week and gave our picks, but guys, something we didn't really talk about is the AL and NL Cy Young because those races are just as interesting. And after now we've broke down some of the remaining matchups. Actually, we've broke down pretty much all of the remaining playoff matchups. Let's take a look at those M- those Cy Young races. Let's start in the AL, where it seemed to be Garrett Cole's award to lose for a long time, but he's had a couple of rough outings before a very good one this weekend. Still definitely in there. The other two names I first, of course, I think we can all agree on Robbie Ray and Lance Lynn. Who are you guys feeling for the AL Cy Young right now? Uh, personally, I think it should be Robbie Ray. Um, as great as Garrett Cole has been, I think he's been too inconsistent. Garrett Cole will have starts where he'll he make the only goes about five innings, you know. Yankee fans, no, you can't have bias there. You got to admit it's true. He'll either go five innings or he'll go seven or eight innings. There's no in between. Um, Robbie Ray has done that a little bit recently, but his numbers are still better all throughout the board. I mean, Garrett Cole does have more wins, uh, and I think, and he has more strikeouts, I believe. But when it comes to uh, ERA and innings pitched, Robbie Ray has the edge of that. So, 
my, my big thing is I think Robbie Ray should win it, and I think he will win it. So right now, just to go over some numbers, Cole this season, 16-8 and eight with a 308 ERA in 29 games, start 175 in third innings, and he's got 237 strikeouts with a 1.04 whip, and he will be making another start tomorrow night. Robbie Ray will be making his final start of the season on Thursday night. He's 13-6 and six with a 2.68 ERA, 31 games started, 188 innings pitched, 244 strikeouts and a 1.03 whip. I be- if I'm not mistaken, I believe Robbie Ray still leads the American League in strikeouts. Let me check on that right now, but I believe you are right. He does 244. Yep. He also leaves all of baseball. Yes, I, I, Robbie, Robbie Ray's your Cy Young. He has cold beat and strikeouts. He has cold beat and volume, cold beat and game start. Garrett Cole's had a great season, but Robbie Ray, he's he's got a better ERA, more strikeouts. He's he's really stepped up in the second half and been completely dominant. I think Robbie Ray's your AL Cy Young in 2021. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Robbie Ray having an absolutely career year. This is the kind of pitcher that the Toronto Blue Jays thought that he was going to be when they traded for him from the Diamondbacks. He's going to get a lot of money this offseason. A lot of money. Forgot that he's on a one-year deal, isn't he? Yeah, so is Marcus Semien. Oh, man. You got two huge one-year deals coming to an end there that, That's Toronto. why it's important for Toronto, I think, this year to really make the wild card because, yes, they're, they are they are young with an abundance of talent with, with Vladdy and Bichette and the rotation of, of Manoa and Barrios. But Robbie Ray and Marcus Semien, they're not going to retain both of them. They might not retain either of them. They're, they're, but if they're going to retain any of them, they're going to retain one of them. So it's a, it's imperative for them this year to really get it done with the core that they have because two main contributors from this year's team are leaving. Not to say that they will fall off next year because they, they won't. They have a lot of young talent, Vladdy, Bichette, Kevin Biggio. Obviously, you have George Springer, you have Alec Manoa, Jose Barrios. You have a loaded team, but it's important to get it done with these two studs still in your it's still in uh, a part of your everyday lineup and a part of your rotation. Well, absolutely, because you can't guarantee even if you've resigned these guys that they're ever going to do this again. This is two career years from two guys who are very talented players, but I don't think are guys who are going to be producing at this level again in no. any contract that they sign. Also, have, if you look at Robbie Ray's career numbers, they're actually pretty bad. This yeah. is the first year in his career, well, second year in his career where he's been really good. He's had a lot of really bad season, folks. Last year, he was really bad, and this year he's been utilizing the slider more, and th- I, he's just been more effective. Marcus Semin, on the other hand, yes, he's had some up-and-down seasons, but I think he's more likely to produce his sort of performance than Robbie Ray. I mean, who knows? Maybe Robbie Ray, all he needed was a simple mechanical change, and he figured it out just like that. But I don't see Robbie Ray maintaining this, but I could be wrong. Two of the big things, of course, people like looking at when it comes to the Cy Young, besides ERA, are strikeouts and innings pitch. You know, different people value them differently. And that's why it's so interesting, I think, in the National League, because you have the leader in strikeouts and innings pitched is Zach Wheeler right now, the Philadelphia Phillies, but... It almost feels like his chances of winning the Cy Young are almost moot because you have guys like Cor- Corbin Burns and Walker Bueller and you know even Max Scherzer after being traded and going on an absolutely dominant tear and with much lower ERAs don't have the same strikeout earnings pitch numbers but guys I think it makes it a much more interesting race than it normally is because there's not one guy who's just leading in all the stats. Uh yeah no absolutely I mean I I think the AL Cy Young should be wrapped up, you know, regardless how the final uh, start goes. Right. But for the NL, I mean, the NL I think is also really close. But to me, I think it'd be so unfair if uh, Corbin Burns didn't win it. I think he's just been that great. Wow. Max Scherzer, though, he could all. I don't have a problem with anybody that wins it. I think if, as long as Max Scherzer or Corbin Burns wins it, I'm happy. So so any of those, uh, oh, those three that you think, one of those two or three that you think should win it? I think any of those three should win, Zach Wheeler included as well. I, I don't have a problem if any of those three win it. I think if I had to, if I were if I had to vote, I would just vote for Corbin Burns though. Yeah, I mean he's been incredible since day one. James, what do you think about the National League Cy Young race? Uh, you know, obviously the three guys that we've mentioned, Burns, Scherzer, and Bueller, have all had tremendous seasons through uh, most of August. 
uh, or actually even until the beginning of September, Walker Bueller was my NL Cy Young. This was this was the third year in a row I picked him to win. I finally thought this would be the year, but the NL Cy Young should be Corbin Burns. Uh, he's he's been tremendous all season long. He obviously had that that tremendous start to the season in April when he. Uh, uh, struck out a record 52 batters before finally issuing a walk. He's been tremendous all season for, Mil- for Milwaukee and a very under-the-radar but very good team. He's 11-4 with a 2-2-9 ERA and 27 games pitched. He's got 165 innings, 230 strikeouts, and a .93 whip. And then when you look at the peripherals or the, the advanced metrics, Corbin Burns blows everyone out of the water. He's got an ERA plus of 185, a FIP of 1.56, and his home runs... Th- Per nine is only point three. That's it, absolutely it's, insane. It's insane. Corbin Burns should get some MVP votes. Corbin Burns should be the NL Cy Young with Scherzer and Bueller rounding out the top three. But that, uh, not enough can be said about how dominant Corbin Burns has been all year. Went through a little bit of a rough patch in June, but besides that, he. You, when you look at the advanced metrics, obviously Scherzer and Burns, uh, Scherzer and Bueller have both been great. But but Burns has them beat in, in both of those, and I think. Just taking everything into consideration, Milwaukee's not gotten the love and praise that they should be getting all year for being as, as good of a team as they are. They've been a wagon all season long with Christian Yelich really not performing up to his MVP level, and they've won 94 games because of that rotation, because of Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns is your NL Cy Young in 2021. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. I'm giving the award to Burns if I have the choice. Just looking at the four guys that we mentioned on the ERA list, it's incredible. You see Max Scherzer at 2.28 ERA. Of course, Corbin, Corbin Burns, as we mentioned, 2.29. The drop-off to the next guy is ridiculous. You know, Then it's Walker Buell over 2.58, and then we mentioned Wheeler. He's at 2.79 after a couple of outings where he gave up a lot of runs. And, you know, I, I do value ERA a lot, but I just think what I said earlier from day one, Corbin Burns has been the guy in the NL. And outside of a rough stretch like James mentioned, he has been the best pitcher in the National League. And honestly, he's arguably been the best pitcher in baseball this season. I mean, yeah. I, I as great as Robbie Ray has been, I think Corbin Burns has been better. But, no, 100%. I love the story of Corbin Burns because he kind of came out of nowhere. He's a great pitcher for a small market team, and something like this is great for the game of baseball. Something like the Brewers being good, I agree. A great, a great for the game of baseball. I mean, like James said, they've been an absolute wagon this year. They have just decimated teams. They have done their job in a division that every single person here Besides me, I believe I gave it to them. But pretty much every single other person was just giving it to the St. Louis Cardinals. Hey, nothing against the Cardinals. They're right there. They've won 16 straight. They're probably going to be playing in the wildcard game and in the postseason. But the Milwaukee Brewers, what a fantastic year for them. And don't be surprised. I'm going to say it right now. Don't be surprised if you see them in the World Series. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to play the winner of the of the most likely Dodgers-Giants NLDS in the NLCS. I, think, I, I, I don't think it's... It's unfair to say the Brewers will will take care of business against Atlanta or Philadelphia, and that, that's no knock on them. But but Milwaukee's just that much better. Don't be surprised to see Milwaukee in the World Series, potentially winning the World Series. They're wow. that good. They, that, they are that good, and pe- people should realize that. They've had so many good teams over the years. They've come so close. Of course, that Game 7 a couple years ago against the Los Angeles Dodgers that they couldn't get it done. I do feel like this Brewers team just feels different to me. I feel like they could get it done. And I just I, I like them. I like them as a pick in the NL for the World Series. It's not the it's not the sexy pick. Obviously, a lot of people would just go with the Giants or Dodgers, and that's fine because they are absolutely dominant baseball teams. But I really do like the Brewers, and I think when it comes down to it, and you get into these seven game series that you have to win, especially the NLCS, it comes down to depth. And I really do like the Brewers' depth. I like their rotation a lot, and I like that their bench has produced very very well this year as well. Yeah, and it's, and I think the one turning point you can point to in the season is the Willie Adams trade. Yeah, the Willie uh, Willie Adams. Yeah. 
should get MVP consider like down the ballot votes, but he should get down the ballot votes in in the National League MVP race. I mean, he he's been tremendous since joining Milwaukee, and then you look at their rotation with with Burns obviously, and then with Woodruff, and then with Freddie Peralta, three All Stars. Look at their bullpen with Josh Hader and Devin Williams. Christian Yelich will come up with a big hit in the postseason when they need him to. You know he will. Yeah, and that, by the way, with the bullpen, that's an inning eight and an inning nine that you, if you are any team in baseball, you do not want to face. Unreal. If you're down by even a run and you have to go up there and say, hey, look, guys, we got six more outs to do this. Oh, wait, we have to face uh, Josh Hader and Devin Williams in whatever order they want, depending on, I know they've been using Hader more as the closer, but in any order they want that they can go with them. And you know what? I, I think that's what it comes down to. Their pitching, unreal. Their depth, unreal. And I might be spoiling it here because we're not doing World Series predictions or anything like that this week, but I really do like the Brewers in the World Series. I also don't think people talk enough about uh, um, with how Devin Williams and Josh Hare can both be used. Both of those guys can go two innings out of the bullpen. Yeah. So, I mean, they would never, you know, have Williams go in the sixth and seventh inning and then Hare in the eighth and ninth. But what they could do is they could use Williams for the seventh and the eighth and then Hader for the ninth. So essentially... With three innings left in the game, you could be in big trouble because these guys can go two innings if needed. Without question, without question. You know, when we're talking about all the great teams in the NL this year, how great the Brewers have been, how surprising the Giants have been, how dominant the Dodgers have been, but something that we have to mention before this show wraps up is how disappointing the San Diego Padres have been. They were eliminated from playoff contention this weekend. They sit at 78-78, and 78, I believe, a 500 record. Guys, this was a year that a lot of people put them in the World Series before a pitch was even thrown. And here we are on the last week of September, and they're not even in the race anymore. How disappointing is this if you are the Padres? And also, follow-up question, is Jay Stingler employed by them next year? It's thoroughly disappointing. Uh, I think you had them in the World Series, right, Andrew? I sure did. I had White Sox Padres. And, then, you know, that that's no, knocked on, uh, that's no knock on you. A lot of people had them in the World Series. I had them going very far in the postseason. Oh, it's a tremendous disappointment. You came in with one of the most talented teams on paper in baseball, and throughout most of the season, the, the Padres had played up to that standard. On August 10th, they were 67-49. They were, I believe, five games up for the second wilds card. They, they, there, there was no cause for concern, and you know they've, they've hit an, a brick wall in the second half and done nothing. Fernando Tatis, he hasn't been bad in September, four home runs and 830 OPS, but he hasn't been his typical self. You know they, they, they haven't hit the ball, they haven't pitched well, they haven't done anything right fundamentally, and, and they were one of the most exciting teams in baseball through August, and they've just completely collapsed in August and September. Uh, it's thorough, and they're going through a lot of change. They fired their pitching coach, they're changing their um, um, some of their scouting, you know, and to answer the question about Jace Tingler, yeah. it doesn't entirely fall on him because he's not the one going up there failing in at-bats or going out there getting rocked. But ultimately, the on-field boss is going to have to take some blame, and I think Jace Tingler will be fired by the Padres. Yeah, I agree with that. Robbie, thoughts on uh, Jace Tingler and the Padres? Well, <laughs> what I was going to say was it also hasn't been their fault that they've uh, had several injuries. Uh, Blake Snell's been injured. Uh, Chris Paddock has been injured. The entire season, Mike Clevenger has been injured. They've been forced to bring out guys like Vince Velasquez and Jake Arrieta out to the mound. I think that's a big reason as to why the Padres have just absolutely collapsed. I believe injuries has a big part of it. Also, you look at the Daniel Hudson acquisition. Daniel Hudson has been really bad for the Padres since they acquired him. Yeah. ERA is over five with them. I mean, he blew the game uh, the other day as well. I, I forget who it was against. but Yeah, he blew it he, against the Braves. Yeah, blew it against the Braves. I mean, And that was a big game. And yeah. that was a big game, exactly. So he just has not been his normal self. Mark Melanson's probably been the biggest 
he's been probably in the brightest spot in that bullpen. Yeah. But other than him, it's just been a disaster. Well, and that's what it comes down to because before this year started, one of the main reasons I had them in the World Series was I value pitching so much. And that pitching rotation was unreal, especially the fact that they didn't even have Mike Clevenger for this entire season. It was still ridiculous. <laughs> and every single person, I'd say besides Joe Musgrove, because Joe Musgrove was very good this year, besides him, everyone was either injured or unbelievably disappointing to the point where, like Robbie said, they're bringing in guys like Vince Velasquez and Jake Arrieta to start. This is the biggest disappointment in baseball. This is one of the biggest disappointments in baseball in the last 10 years from, from a team standpoint. They could finish under 500. Yeah. They're 78 and 78 right now with six games to play against the Giants, and I don't know. No, against the, against the Dodgers and then against the Giants. <sighs> So that they could very well finish. So under they 500. probably will because both of those teams are playing hardcore right. to win the division. You go, you go out and you get Blake Snell. You get uh, you Darvish. Right. You trade for Adam Frazier. Mm-hmm. You have a stacked lineup with Tatis and Machado and Jake Cronenworth and you can, uh, Tommy Pham, Trent Grisham, the li- Adam Frazier. The list can go on. The fact that they didn't perform and they just collapsed in the second half is truly unacceptable. And I don't know where it starts. If it's if it's a player thing, if it's if there's player if there's issues between the players in the clubhouse, if it's a managerial thing, if it's a combination of everything. Yeah, sure. Every you can point to injuries, but every team has injuries. And for a team that's this talented with a payroll that large, there's no excuse. So they're gonna have to do some major soul searching in the offseason. They should have traded Mackenzie Gore when his value was high if he wasn't gonna be called up. Uh, he struggled a little bit this year returning from Tommy John surgery. They're gonna have to. Tra- they should trade some of their prospects to go out and get that final piece, even though they should have already had that final piece, or rely on these prospects. But at a certain point, you can't just have a, a loaded farm forever and then do nothing. Go out, trade these pieces because they're all blocked. Go trade these pieces for legit major league talent that your team obviously needs because the Padres didn't get it done this year in a, in, a, in an incredibly disappointing fashion. It's hard not to go back to July and think about the trade that was reported from Ken Rosenthal that fell through, and that, of course, the Max Scherzer trade to San Diego, and what difference that could have made for the Padres in this race. And, you know, it's it's ultimately, like you said, they, they didn't get it done. They had the, you know, the pieces in place to get that trade done. They didn't do it. They didn't really acquire any other starting pitching to supplement that outside of signing a couple free agents that I guess they thought had a little bit left in the tank, and course we're wrong about that a area to dfa velasquez has allowed seven earned runs in three first innings um yeah but but once you didn't get scherzer why not go get barrios why well, not that's go, what i'm saying why not yeah. use your why not use your prospect capital you still have a loaded farm even though you've traded a lot you're still top five in the game in terms of your farm yeah. system why not go trade for somebody else who you can have multiple years of control under like barrios and that's the big question because it seems like they failed on scherzer and essentially just said well you know what that sucks i guess we're just gonna have to make do with what we got and ultimately i think i think that was the downfall for them you know, they came into the year with such great pitching on paper, and then it ended up being pitching that really hurted them. I know we've harped on this in the past, but I think it shows uh, the impact the trade deadline had on teams this oh, year. without question. The teams that went big at the deadline have had a lot of success. The teams that chose not to do much, we're seeing that they're the teams that are struggling right now. Yeah, without question. Trade deadline every year, one of the most important aspects of a team and of any contending team trying to round out their roster fill in the holes that are missing from a potential playoff run. And once again, seems like that may be the difference in the NOS this year between teams that are making the playoffs and teams that are not. Last 10 minutes here on Nation's Pastime and the Nation's Capital. Quick reminder, if you want to call in here in the last 10 minutes even, uh, that number's 202-319-5106 to discuss anything baseball-related. That's 202-319-5106. And Still the same scores that we're looking around the league here for the remaining playoff uh, games with playoff implications. Um, so no updates to give there. But, guys, is there anything you want to close out in the last nine minutes here talking about? I know we, we gave a lot of attention to the AL wildcard race and to the uh, to the 
division races that are still up for grabs. I do think maybe why don't why don't we talk about the NLS because we didn't really do that so far, and that's a division that is still up in the air. And you know what schedules do those guys have left, and who do we see coming out on top? Yeah. So right now the the Giants have 102 wins, the Dodgers have 100 wins. Crazy that one of those teams is going to be playing in the wild card game. Uh, both these teams are at home for their last six. The Dodgers are playing the Padres for three at home, and then the Brewers for three. And the Brewers are already locked into the two seeds, so they're not going to have anything to play for besides keeping guys fresh before four off days. And then the Giants are at home for three against the Diamondbacks that starts tonight, and then three against the Padres this weekend. So. Relatively easy schedules in the end for both teams. Uh, harder for the Dodgers, even though the Brewers don't have anything left to play for. They're still going to probably throw Burns and Woodruff just to make sure they're on regular rest for the postseason because they won't play until Friday. Uh, so they'll have five days off in between uh, their last series. So ultimately, the, the Giants are two games up. They have an easier schedule per se than the Dodgers, so I'll give the edge to the Giants. I think the Giants are going to win the division. They've been the better team all year. The biggest surprise in baseball, the best surprise in baseball. Chris Bryant's made a huge impact since coming over. Buster Posey turned the clock back to 2012. The Giants, the Giants are going to win the division. How big a, of an impact will Brandon Belt's injury have? We'll see. Fractured left thumb, partial fracture in his yeah. left thumb. That's huge, but they've been making way all year with the next man up, and I and you know I think the Giants are going to continue to do that into the postseason. I think the Giants are going to win the NL West. Robbie, thoughts on the NL West and the two teams trying to win it? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I uh, absolutely think the Giants are going to win it. I think for the Giants, if they can win, I want to say three more, three out of the next what is it, six games. I think if they can win at least three of their next six games, I think they're pretty much set. I don't. The Dodgers are facing the Padres. Is that what James was saying? Yeah. The uh, the do- no. The Dodgers have to face the. Um, Padres. The- I'm sorry. The yeah, Padres yeah, then the Brewers. Yeah, that's yes. what I'm saying. Yes. I do not see the Dodgers sweeping the Brewers or taking two out of three. I think the Brewers team is just better than the Dodgers right yeah. now. I mean, I know the Dodgers have more wins, but I, if if it came down to a series between the Brewers and Dodgers. I might actually take the Brewers. That's how good I think that they are. So <laughs> I, I just I don't think that the Brewers are going to lose that series against the Dodgers. So I think that if the Giants can take three more games, which I think they will, I think they're going to take the division. I think that's actually going to come a long way for them. A lot of Brewers love here on tonight's edition of Nation's Pastime in the Nation's Capital. Really showing our love for that team out in Milwaukee, and for good reason, too. A very, very good baseball team. But I would have to agree with what both of them said. I do like the Giants' chances for taking that NL West crown. I do think the schedule is going to play a lot into it. They're playing, I believe you said the Padres, uh, the D-backs, and then the Padres, right? Yeah. yeah. In that order? Okay, yeah. so... I mean, I, I I like that better. I also think that San Diego, while they are out of it, they are a team that I feel like would play with a little bit of chip on their shoulder and try to play spoiler play against. Spoiler to two division rivals. Yeah, but if I'm being honest, if you're a San Diego Padres fan, you probably want to play spoiler more against the Los Angeles Dodgers just to stick it to them. And I'm not saying, you know, this doesn't impact anything greatly because you can say that about any team facing any team that don't like each other. But I just have a feeling that it's going to come down to schedule, and I, I like the Giants' schedule better. I think the Padres are going to play semi-well this week, even with nothing left to play for. And going back to what we said about Jace Tingler and their disappointment, there's going to have to be a lot of a lot of improvements made over the offseason. But the core is still there. They have a lot of talented players. Adam Frazier, their big guy they got, is with the team again for at least another year. And I, I think that they're just too talented to do this for another year. Hopefully they figure it out and don't fall into a uh, pit of mediocrity like some of the other t- teams that have had big outs off seasons over the past uh, couple years. And why don't we close actually with another team that had a huge offseason and was projected to run away with this division, and that's, of course, the New York Mets, who are just not only out of the playoffs, are f- just becoming unbelievably irrelevant as they approach eight games under five hundred. Yeah, Jacob DeGrom officially shut down for the rest of the seasons today. No surprise there. Uh, Marcus Stroman, a great season. 
Uh, Pete Alonso was up and down. You know, he was he was their best offensive player at some points. At other points, he just disappeared. But overall, another incredibly disappointing season. Francisco Lindor, the biggest disappointment. Uh, you know, he picked it up at some point in the second half in terms of like his dreadful start. But overall, not what you expected. Uh, when the extension hasn't even kicked in yet, Michael Conforto, Jeff McNeil, disappointing seasons all around. A disappointing season for the Mets, and uh, you know. Are they are they going to finally play to their up to their talent level next year? Who knows? It seems like we've been saying this for three or four years now. Watch out for the Mets. They had a good off season. They have some good pieces in their in their farm system. They're going to be good this year. And you know, forgive me for bringing up this ultimately a meme here, but why do the Mets seem to met every single year, Robbie? Why do you think this is? Well. I think this year their biggest issue was uh, I think once Jacob Degrom got injured, I think that took a massive hit on the team. Um, they had injuries before the season started. Uh, Dylan Batantis, as an example, um, you know I forgot he's even under contract. Yeah, so the Mets they uh, had some injuries, which I think hurt them a lot. James is right; they had a lot of disappointing seasons from uh, Michael Conforto, Jeff McNeil, but I think that the team had the potential to make the playoffs despite that. I think that the injury of Degrom and Syndergaard were just too big for them. Um, they also Taiwan Walker was really poor in the second half, so that also hurt them. You can't forget about that. But an all star too. An all star. Yeah. But with how well Javier Baez played for the Mets, I'm just really surprised that this team missed the playoffs. A lot of Met fans seem to think that coaching or Luis Rojas, a manager, has something to do with it. I'm not so sure Luis Rojas is the center of or he should be the guy to blame for this, but I think that you could probably point some blame to him because it, as the Yankees were playing the Mets, there were a lot of moments where I disagree with some of his uh, management skills, but that's just my opinion. We've heard from sources as well around baseball that if Luis Rojas is fired, <laughs> indeed he will get an offer almost instantly from other teams. It appears that he is very well respected by a lot of Major League Baseball clubs, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. A final note here to leave you guys with, the New York Mets held first place for the longest time of any team in the NL East this year. Crazy to think about. One more thing I want to touch on right before we leave, Dusty Baker. Underappreciated. Yeah. He's done the job for Houston for the last two years. That, that I don't think they could have found anyone better to guide them through the transition from the sign stealing scheme. You know, from a PR relations standpoint, he's handled it tremendously. And then this season, I feel like the Astros have flown under the radar for, for a lot of people. You know, they, they've had a tremendous season. They're going to win the AL West again. They're fighting for the race for home field advantage. I think they're going to go to the World Series out of the American League. Wow. I, they're, they're my pick to go to the World wow. Series. I think that offense is too potent. Um, you know, Alex Bregman came back a couple weeks ago. He's healthy. He missed a lot of the uh, most of the summer uh, with a calf injury. You know, I think Altuve, Correa, they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. Gurriel, they're going to want one more run at it. And uh, Dusty Baker's up. Contract is up at the end of this year. I don't know if James Click will renew it, if he's going to want to go with his own guy or if he's going to want to renew it. But either way, Dusty should, Dusty should be praised for what he's done. He's been underappreciated, and I think the Astros should give him another one- or two-year extension because clearly the team buys in, clearly the team likes him, and um, he's he's done a tremendous job. But I guess that, that'll that'll play out uh, after the postseason. You know, we'll see. If, if Dusty can't get it done again, maybe they'll go with somebody else. But I think he's done a tremendous job these last two years. It's almost like the Astros have not been talked about a lot just because they've they've just been good. They've been the leaders of that division almost all year. They're the Ast they're they're the, they're, the, they're back to the they're back to the 2017-2018 level Astros, but they're just not getting talked about enough. Yeah, hopefully uh with a little bit less signs if you know what I and, mean. And Alex Bregman's been out for a lot of the season. Another great point, another great point. So, we'll have to see what happens with Dusty Baker, Luis Rojas, Jace Tingler, all the managers around baseball that'll be on the hot seat once the season ends, but guess what? The season's not over yet. We have another week of this and then we got playoff baseball. We'll be covering all of that here on Nation's Past. I'm 
in the nation's capital. Thank you all so much for tuning in again. We'll be live on WCUA Radio again next week at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our episodes will be posted online in podcast form on YouTube and Spotify. Follow our social media accounts at NatPastimeCap to get the info on when those drop. And we will catch you next week. Thanks for tuning in and have a fantastic rest of your evening. Peace out.